If you have your Bibles and want to turn and follow along, we're in Ecclesiastes. We continue through this, this really amazing book. I mean, it's under the sun wisdom, and it's real. It's not escapism at all. It's making you look at reality, right? I mean, life is unfair. The past is unexplainable. The present, unreasonable. The future, unpredictable. People, unreliable. And then death, inevitable. Oh my goodness. It's terrible. It's like, that's like truth from the Bible. And you're like, ah, this is just a downer. Where are we going to go? And we've been doing that as looking at the reality that life isn't what we think it should be, logically, with wisdom, and yet there is hope outside of us in Christ. And now you might say, and we'll say today, and we start to look as we're in chapter 8 today, you might start to say, okay, Swanson, you still got to live. I know the overall scope of things is, is, you know, it's tough to understand how to live a meaningful life, but there is a little benefit in bodily discipline, right? I mean, I want a fit body, so I'm, I'm going to work out. I, I, there's, there's benefit in living life skillfully. Absolutely true. Wisdom, in the Hebrew, means skillful living. And this man that we've talked about, and, and, and Kaheleth, he, he's the one who we think maybe even wrote Proverbs, right? Solomon. Pithy statements of living life wisely. I want to live life wisely now. So it's helpful that he goes today and looks at how to deal with people relationally in power relationships. How to handle the king. Now, you might say, well, okay, you know, we can skip that. We're Americans. We don't have kings in spite of, I think, the president yelled the other day, long live the queen or something. It's not my queen. I'm an American. I have my own sense. Of, but, but honestly, this applies. The wisdom, the skill in living applies to any dynamic where you have a power relationship. And we, you have them all over. People have power over you. Well, no, they don't. Well, do you have a job? then you've got a boss. Do you have a donor? Do you have, are you in the military? You've got a general over you. You have these relationships where somebody has something that you want and it's their choice whether they're going to give it to you or they're going to follow the way that you want them to follow. Might there be some good principles and, and, and life sort of lessons about how to handle people that have power or control in a variety of area, whatever area it might be in your life? Absolutely Yes. Who knows those things? This man, as he looks at, first, the king. Super helpful, super important, kind of how we're going to deal with power. But then he looks at the one, you know what? We all actually do have a king, don't we? What's his name? Jesus. Our God is the king of the universe. And, and so he wants to say, do the principles that we use and the wisdom that we use to handle power relationships here, and we start to navigate them, do they also work with God? And, oh, spoiler alert, no. And that ought to surprise you. And pull us into a relationship with God that's a little different than you might expect. Okay, so come along with me as we look. I'm calling it control because we have the reality where we want to influence 
I have wisdom, an idea about how things wisely might go. And I want the person with power to do for me, to, to influence them that they might do the things I want. That's called control. Okay, here we go. Chapter 8. First, we're going to look at influencing the king. Influencing those in power. God-given power. God-given resources. Rich people and your poor. Whatever it might be. Okay, here it goes. Chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. If you actually look at this in your, in your Bible, you can see that this is a little verse. It's like in verse form. It's like he's quoting a, a line of a song or something. And he's using it transition in. Because who is like the wise? Oh, wisdom is good. Who knows the interpretation of everything? Who can explain with understanding a situation? If you have that, your face will shine. Well, actually, what I think the best interpretation looking forward, he's saying that the wisdom that you have can help somebody in power over you look upon you favorably. Really cool. The hardness of his face has changed. So the power of the, of the king, the one in power's face, is redirected by your great wisdom. Oh, you say, I've got something to say. I've got, I've got help for somebody that has resources, that has power over me, and I'm going to help them go a certain direction, and it's good to have wisdom. Okay? The wise have some influence. I want to be wise. Some control, some ability to move people who are making choices. It's very powerful itself in a quiet way. And so, so how do you do it? Here it is. Verse 2. I say, the wise man, <laughs> keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and, and who might say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. Okay, you might say, okay, well, I don't really understand what he's saying. Yeah, he's giving you principles to handle people who are powerful. That, that's what he's doing. In dealing with the king, the teacher counsels patience and perseverance in the face of sort of arbitrary power because, because God gave whoever has the power the power they have. Particularly the king, it's an oath that, that, that God has, has set that king up. And so you're under authority and you see that in the New Testament. Where it says, hey, obey your leaders. They've been given power by God. So don't fight away since he's bound by an oath. And if you just leave, you just say, peace out, I'm out of here. He says, no, that, you're going to lose all your influence. Don't do that. Patience and prudence and good causes will be noticed. And so the wise man waits for the proper moment and sort of with patience. And then, then when the king sees, oh, maybe you have something to say, then, then you say it. You'll just blurt it out. So, when you're looking at someone with power, be careful. Have patience, perseverance, prudence. Don't be foolish, which would kind of be to blurt out whatever's on your mind. Get defensive. Storm away when your counsel isn't taken or sort of presume that somebody should do what you say. You're not actually the one holding power. You're giving good counsel. 
And maybe you have some of these relationships. You probably do and don't even know it. Very wise stuff. Wisdom sees that how you do something is as important as what you do. Sad, I still don't see Dax. I don't have any kings in my life. Well, okay. I saw a movie this week. I know. Thank you. Movies. But this is a really interesting movie. It was about a billionaire, and he was a quadriplegic. And he needed somebody to help him get around. And so he hires this guy who has nothing. He's like an ex-con, like really rough around the edges. And he comes in, he starts to take care of him. The ex-con who, who starts to take care of him. You see, there's a power dynamic. Guy has everything. Ex-con's like, man, I need money to help my family, take care of my kid. But, but, but he exhibits these amazing principles. He doesn't just go and say, give me money, give me money. No, he kind of, he gets to know him. He's patient. He, he waits. He, he serves him. He gets to know him some. And finally the guy gets, hears about his need and, and, and sort of directs him in some ways. And, and then finally the guy who has the power gives him $50,000. Woo! Really cool. Like that's the whole thing, right? He navigated a power relationship and, and, and without like poking wrongly or doing something. There's was wisdom in how this guy who had nothing kind of got to where, and, and again, it's a movie, so it's made up. It's, it's based on a true story. But, but eventually, you know, the, the, the guy who's low did have something to give to the guy who was high because that's how life works. Wisdom. So, so if you're wise, right, you, you know there's, there's lots you don't know and you're, you're patient with what God's doing in terms of power and you say, I, I can navigate these things with patience and prudence and slowly get to know and show that I'm for a just cause and, and, and do the right things and just, just let God give me the moment, the opportunity to get help. And if you're wise, you know there's a lot you don't know. That's what this man says. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war. No will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So what he's saying here is that injustice and the sorrows of life force us to come to terms with the idea that there's powers over us. And literally the spirit there, you should probably translate the wind. You can't control the wind. You can't control when you're going to die. It just happens, right? So we're in this, this place where we don't actually have control and there are people that God has given some power to and, and you're not going to escape. You can't always steal someone else's power. You can't always sort of establish your own power. Sometimes you just got to bow to what's going to happen and try and direct things as best you can with wisdom. That's a tough thing for me to hear as an American I feel like mostly what I try and do is to get my little piece of power myself. Maybe you do too. If I just get a strong enough little nest egg, if I just get a, enough of my own control over my own finances in my own place, then I have my little kingdom. But even then, the problem is uncertainty hits me. I don't know what disaster might come where I need someone who has resources above me. I don't know my death will come. That's what he's saying. And... and and that's the principles he's giving us. And here's chapter 9. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. I'm looking at this. 
doing the best I can with wisdom, you guys, and I'm giving it to you. Okay. So he's observed how wisdom is not the same as power. God's given power to individuals. Therefore, you don't go sort of blazing in, telling people what to do. You show them by your example and patience and picking your spots and being right, showing your good thinking process. And even though you don't know what the future holds, even though you don't have the ability to avoid death or avoid consequences for actions, you do have some influence, even over a king. That's helpful. I get it. Thanks, Dex. Good principles for living. Thank you, uh, Kaheleth. Good principles for dealing with people who are over you in power. And you can start doing it. But I'll tell you the one who's mostly over me is who? God. And you say, I get these principles here, but do they work with God? I, I want to impress God with my wisdom. I want to impress God. Well, I want to say, look, I'm doing things rightly. I'm doing things in order. And, and does this work also with influencing? Because the one who can really influence whether life's going to go well for me or not is not some king. It's God. Right? He's the most powerful. We're all under him. And he's deciding how life goes for you and me. He can heal the sick and make the lame walk and the blind see and, and give temporal riches and power and everything. And he can do the opposite as well. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I, I think I'm wondering if these principles, wisdom, dealing with someone powerful, should also apply to God. How do I influence God? So he's doing that, this man. He looks out and starts saying, well, okay, let's look a little broader. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is absurd. All of a sudden, I have a wrinkle in my brow about my wisdom with dealing with the powerful because he says, I'm looking at the wicked and they went in and out from the temple, the place. And you know what? They're wicked and they went in and they went out and they went in and went in and out. What happened to them? Nothing. They're wicked. Shouldn't lightning bolts the plague, something. And then they were buried. And you know what? When they were buried, people said what great people they were. Oh my goodness. They were wicked. This is, this is, this is very difficult to understand. What is God doing? The wicked prosper. I mean, they're evil. And, and then I see this. It says, I see this because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Do, do you understand what he's saying there? You, you get away with it. You lust and you get away with it. You steal and, and cut corners and, and you speed against the speed limit and you dislike your neighbor and you covet all the time. And, and, and then you're just a normal good person who comes to church and goes home and lives your life. And that's all kind of okay, it seems. God, I have a suggestion in wisdom. Would you tighten it up? Would you make it so when someone does something bad, they get bad consequences right away because then they would stop doing it? Don't you think? I mean, consider. This is what he's struggling with. 
And, and that's why he says, and don't miss this, he says the children of men are fully set on evil. Fully. It's not a new concept from him. He talked about it last week in chapter 7, how there's nobody righteous. But this is, this is one of the reasons why, right? We think there, there ought to be some righteous people. And, and he's starting to say, God's to blame. I mean, because he's waiting and not dealing with things. He, he said, I know, that, I, I know that there is such a thing as righteousness. I know that God will judge. I, I know. He says that though a sinner does an evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. That's a statement of faith. I don't see it. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he doesn't fear God. He's not saying it doesn't matter. Oh, no, no. My faith tells me, my my. My, my trust in God tells me that fearing God is the only pathway there is. But my eyes are telling me something different. That's, that's what he says, right? In spite of this, God seems to participate in injustice. There's a vanity that takes place on earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also. It's absurd. That's the vanity word, right? I, I, can't, I can't understand this. I'm trying to get the wisdom out, you know. What? I can't tie it visually. And, and so he draws these three conclusions from this disturbing observation of reality that if you haven't seen, you should look more closely because he's talking about life under the sun. It happens. And he says these three conclusions. Here's the first. And I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God's given him under the sun. So he's not advocating some sort of hedonistic indifference to injustice or suffering, but he's counseling that we come to terms with the limit of our ability to explain or eliminate suffering. And unending vexation is pointless. So his first conclusion is enjoy life. Hey, God, you have been given something, you should enjoy it. You know, not try and manipulate and control, but you should enjoy. That's number one. And then he says this, number two, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that's done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much one may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So the wise man looks and says, I'm trying to figure it out, and I realize... I can't. This great discovery about the nature of God's activity is that the wise man doesn't comprehend it. Well, I know what God's going to do. Do you? Maybe ultimately I have my Bible. I read my Bible. I get some principles out of my Bible. I start to do them. But then God has the people who are doing the principles out of the Bible not receive good things. What is God doing? 
and every endeavor of wisdom to find the key by which one may master life is bound to fail. If we could know what certainty actions bring, that, that, that my actions, which ones? If I could know which of my actions brings prosperity, which of my actions brings happiness, which of my actions bring success, if I could do those things, right? What could I do? I could control my outcome. I would have control. And that control would be up to me. So that's really interesting. God has, this is the second conclusion, God has deliberately made life unpredictable in order to thwart human efforts to influence and control him. He is not controllable. This is a big deal. You don't have to agree with this. This is his conclusion. And let's look at the third one, then we'll talk about it. But, but all this I laid to heart, examining it, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's sort of the end of his thinking here. It actually extends into the first verse of chapter 9. But this stunning direction really to take interacting with the powerful ruler God, the amazing king of kings, is that the apparent injustice in the world is proof of his sovereignty. No one, even by righteous deeds, can gain control over God and coerce blessing from him. That's this love is favor in this and, and hatred is disfavor. You, you, can't, you can't understand. You've got to acknowledge that it it's all in his hands. Your, your deeds don't influence him. Which is to say you have no control. Wisdom to influence the earthly power? Sure. Wisdom before the heavenly power? Well, the wisdom is you don't influence. That, that's what he's leading towards. All things are in his hands, not yours. So, so let me recap this chapter because he's done it in two parts. He, he first laid it before you of how you as a wise person on earth can, can operate rightly over people who are above you in power. That may be power of resources or power of, of commanding your life or, or in their setting, the commander of a king. He holds your life in his hands and he decides policies and everything. And he gives these very practical and straightforward, excellent principles to employ. Don't speak too quickly. Don't leave in a huff. Choose your moment. Make sure you're on the side that's right. Recognize that you don't have the power. The king does. So tread with caution and respect. Do good for them and they will notice. That's his counsel for human living. And then he's turned to the true power, who's the king of heaven. And he says, and it doesn't work. That's what he's saying. You can't understand what God is doing. He allows people to live without consequence. I know he's God, the, 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 the preacher says. I know it will be well with those who fear him, but, but I can't figure out how. You can't know if you're in camp A, the favored camp, or camp B, the disfavored camp, by the things that happen in your life. That's, that's what his observation is. And so all you can do is enjoy the gift you have and realize you cannot control and trust him. He knows what he's doing. 
I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. So isn't, isn't God like the king? Like I can influence him by my wisdom and my doing right? And he says, no, actually God hides. No one, even by his righteous deeds, can gain control over God. So God isn't bound by the set of rules that he set up. And anyone who follows the rules, I'm just waiting to see what you do. And if you do well, I will bless you. And if you do poorly, I will curse you. He says, actually, it's not working that way. If there's no control, let's let's think about this for a minute as we close. If there's no control, no apparent temporal benefit to doing what God says is good, then many people say, I'm out. I'm out. And yes, that is what the preacher observes. People are what? Motivated by self. You, me, we're motivated by self, by what's in it for me. I just am. I'm not trying to say that's evil. I'm just saying that's who we are. I want to see the benefits. Why do I say that? Because it's a system I work under. It's like this. I have desires. I have desires, but I suppress them in order that I might do what's right or what's beneficial so God will bless me. That's how I live. I come to work. I sit in my chair all day. I don't sit in my chair all day because I love to sit in my chair. I sit in the chair because I want to make sure I'm giving a good value for what I'm being paid. I'm worth my paycheck. And you know what else? I want the other people in the office all around to see how good a worker I am. I have some value in that. What is that called? I'm self-motivated. Right? I'm oriented on what the things are myself. It's called extrinsic motivation. I, I don't want to go the speed limit, but I do because I want the good result of no speeding ticket. Also, you could toss in good gas mileage. People thinking I'm a good driver. I, inside, my intrinsic motivation is, is self-oriented, Right? I don't have a desire to go under the speed limit that's just like, I just love to drive 35 and a 50. No! I want to drive 75. It's cool, it's fast. I get there quicker. But you see, I change what I do so that I can, I, 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 I'm motivated to, by, by self. The work example is a good one because I'm doing it for merit, for someone to notice that I'm doing good, and therefore they'll see Dax is doing well, and then maybe they'll give me a raise, or maybe they'll do things like that, that are good, and I'll get a good result from my behavior. And so my behavior is modified by the good things I'm going to get. And, and so now, let's go to God. Right? This is actually really important, because I think before the boss, it works, and my real boss is my heavenly boss, and I think it's going to work for him too. And before God, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? I mean, we established the preacher saying that he watches the so-called righteous, those that act good, and they aren't blessed. He watches the wicked, the ones who do evil, and they seem to be blessed. There seems to be no correlation and he correctly says, you can't control God by what you do. You might as well enjoy your life. And, and, and which is what, though? Enjoying your life. That's intrinsic motivation, right? That's, I love to sail, so I'm going to sail. Like, well, I'm going sailing so that God might love me more. No, you go sailing because you love the wind on your face and you love what you do. 
You enjoy your life and the things He's given you because you actually enjoy. Say, man, what I enjoy is a good meal. So you're a chef and you, you make a nice meal and you enjoy it because you enjoy a good meal. That's intrinsic motivation around enjoying the thing. And, and, and it's, it shouldn't surprise us, right? Because why shouldn't it surprise me? Because the Bible says that God looks where? At your heart. If God looks at your heart, and what he sees is, I really don't want to do this, but I'm doing this so God will bless me. Is that a sign of your great strength? No. If God looks at your heart and says, you're doing what you really want to do, I'll show you what true righteousness would be, actual righteousness would be, I just do it because I love to do it. I love to do the things God says to do because I just love them. I love those things. I like to do them. I like to help the little lady across the street. Not because other people see me and say, Dax is a good Christian and he's doing good deeds for God. Or even God sees that. I do it because it's a great joy to me to help the little lady across the street. How cool. Let's do it. You see the difference? And what God says is God's looking at your heart and he always sees this thread of it's for you. Oh no. That's why he said nobody's righteous, because to actually be righteous is not to appear righteous. It's to actually desire what God desires, to not even think of it as righteous, just as what you want to do. And, and in fact, once you start thinking of it as righteous, you're already going down the wrong trail because you start giving yourself credit. You start thinking of yourself as good, and you're going directly against what the preachers already observed. There aren't any good. Not just the preacher, that's Romans too, right? So, so these two things. One, Oh, precious people, would you enjoy your life? Actually do what you enjoy. Don't try and wisdom it out. It, 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 it'll work with your boss. It'll work with other people. It'll work with the king. It won't work with the king of kings. And he's the only one that really matters, right? He gives you a gift. He didn't give you the same gift as the person next to you. The idea is not what I don't want. I want, I want what they got. No, you actually got given life by the king. Enjoy it. It's a big deal. You cannot manipulate him so you can be real. The freedom of what he already knows, what you like. Okay, then second thing is, sorry, to trust him. To trust him. Why? Because he declares to you that you are freed in Christ. He declares to you that you are in Christ. He declares to you that Jesus has forgiven, because it's about forgiveness, right? Not improve. It's not about you trying to get up a ladder somewhere. It's about Jesus actually saying, I love you as you are, and I placed you in another kingdom, my kingdom. Will you trust me that I've got you covered? And life becomes about actually living that. You cannot manipulate God, but you can be yourself. He knows you as you are, and he loves you now, and that's what God has done. Martin Luther's final words that he wrote went along like this in the English. He says, we are beggars. This is true. Right? Well, we can't make it on our own. We can't make our hearts be true. The best we can do is be honest and not be fakers, and it's so ironic. People think what impresses God because it impresses other people is our competence or our good behavior, show we're strong, we're morally mighty, then the world will take notice and God will, will bless us. And so we make the Bible heroes into these moral supermen. But if you actually go look, we've been looking in the Old Testament class and look and look at David, oh my goodness. 
man after God's own heart, spends the last half of his life running from his sin. Abraham, Father Abraham, as he gives his wife away because he's afraid. God saw all that and he still loved them. This is the great good news of of the Bible, that God's revealed plan is salvation for the wicked, not salvation for the wise. And this is Romans, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm in a body of death. I, I know what the right thing is. I should desire only the good. I don't. It's not that somehow that means I don't have to try. No, I I ought to. I remain. I ought to. But who's going to actually deliver me? Well, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has done it. Forgiveness is real. Right? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who's done it all for you and me. Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. He covers me and clothes me and allows me to live as I am, as we are, and being real to one another, not understanding how God works because we can't. He's a little far above us. Apparently blessing the wicked, but really, I'm the wicked. Everybody's the wicked. His observational thing, I see the people who who, who are good and the people who are bad. He can't tell. He's looking at the outside. And and we have trouble too. And so our only hope is to actually trust that Jesus has paid it all and to start to live out of that. He acts on me. Not that I influence him or do for him or sort of am for him. And this is the wonder of the gospel. So go ahead, wise one. Influence the powerful. Help him go the right way. Be wise in your interactions. But when you come into the presence of God, be humbled. Because the truth is, He's done it all for us. And we have such confidence because we don't have the control. Let it go. Enjoy the life that He's given you. Word of the Lord.